0: Chapter Two of Dead Men's Shoes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Angela Dean. Dead Men's Shoes by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Chapter Two. Given a ten pound note which must be had. Query where to get it a problem not over easy of solution for a man who has exhausted the generosity of those few friends who are generous and discovered the hollowness of those numerous acquaintances who not ill-natured in the beaten way of friendship will do anything for a friend except open their purse-strings a sharp december morning the wind has changed in the night from southwest to due east and there has been a light fall of snow which is whitening the various and picturesque roofs of Chelsea and hangs on the ragged elm branches on Cheyenne Walk. The river is dun color, the sky iron gray, as if the atmosphere were heavily charged with snow. Butchers' boys, cabmen, and those denizens of the street who seem to get through their daily round of labor with an ample margin of leisure for gossip and standing about at corners. Look up at the darkened vaults of heaven and opine that there will be a heavy fall of snow before night. This is the cold world which Alexis Secretan faces, leaving his wife asleep in the old tent bed at number 11 Dixon Street. She has fallen into slothful habits of late, pleading as her excuse that there is so little to get up for nowadays. Certainly not pleasure or prosperity, not even so much as a new book to read, so does not that ragged old don juan whose bitterest verses alexis gloats over in his gloomiest moods constitute with graceless tom jones the entire stock of literature in Sybil secretan's reach ten pounds he faces the bitter blast blowing up the river from plumstead and woolwich and all the chilly eastern marshes and seeming to concentrate its biting power upon innocent Cheyenne walk. He faces the rasping wind moodily, puzzling out this insolvable problem—where to get ten pounds? Where to get it? That is the only question. The how to get it has been settled from the beginning. He must borrow it. He has almost reached the lower depth of the hardy and habitual borrower he has but to settle with himself upon whom he shall make his demand, for himself he might perchance never have stooped to borrow. He would have emigrated, rather, and lived by the sweat of his brow in some new country where men are equal and poverty less than a crime, or, his heart failing him, he might have flung himself and his difficulties off Waterloo Bridge, and so made an easy end of them. But with a young, and beloved wife dependent on him for daily bread he has sacrificed pride and independence manhood and honesty even he sometimes thinks and for the last six months has lived a wretched hand-to-mouth existence trying to get employment all the time and occasionally earning a fortuitous five-pound note but supporting the burden of life for the most part by the aid of loans obtained from the associates of happier days he is not a man upon whom so pitiful a position sits lightly, though, being gifted by nature with a peculiarly sweet and easy temper, he has a way of taking his troubles placidly, especially in the presence of his wife, and his railings at fate and fortune, though frequent, are philosophical rather than angry or vindictive. He is a man who, if nature's bounties are to be counted as a heritage, is not undowered, eminently handsome, of a noble presence, athletic, with a constitution to which illness and disease are unknown, with a voice that can soothe or charm, threaten or command, an eye that dominates man and the lesser animals alike, a quick, bright intellect, a wondrous power of endurance, that noble quality which in a horse would call stay.' which in a man is perhaps the crowning characteristic of manhood with such gifts as these alexis secretan could hardly count himself ill furnished for the battle of life unhappily the old fairy story of the princess's christening gifts repeats itself more or less in every man's life among the numerous good fairies who were invisible guests at alexis secretan's baptismal feast two evil fairies slipped in unawares those were poverty and unthrift i shall have little of this world's goods said the first and he shall squander that little added the second this baptismal curse has been fulfilled the only son of a disinherited father alexis has yet escaped the chastening influence of that sharp schoolmaster poverty his mother's fortune was enough to support father and son in luxurious idleness and in a happy-go-lucky easy kind of life in foreign cities where life is cheaper gayer and brighter than at home at seventeen his father's influence was sufficient to obtain him a commission in a crack regimen father and mother died within a year of each other and soon after alexis had put on his epaulettes. the remnant of his mother's fortune the bulk thereof having been anticipated and made away with for year after year as necessity impelled served to keep the young man going in an expensive profession for about five years during which he had the good fortune to see some active service distinguish himself by various displays of reckless daring and obtain a captaincy at the end of the fifth year he had spent the last shilling of his capital and was in debt knowing the impossibility of living on his pay he sold out and for some time about a year and a half contrived to live upon the proceeds of his commission having thus sacrificed his military career to the necessities of eighteen months idleness and to that miserable condition of a noble profession which makes it impossible that a gentleman should live by his sword alexis reviews the ranks of his acquaintances as he walks londonwards he has exhausted the bounty of his easy-going and in some cases open-handed brother officers no hope of help there his foreign education has left him without school friends near at hand honest max or jovial fritz of heidelberg might advance him a thaler or a handful of goschen were they within reach but their normal state is impecuniosity there is but one source left undrained even in this depth of destitution he has not yet appealed to his mother's sole surviving sister his aunt louisa co heiress with his mother of a rich manchester manufacturer and more fortunately married than his mother aunt louisa is the wife of dudley gorsuch barrister in large practice and member of glassford in the potteries a self-made man self-important and worshipping rank and mammon, as the Ammonites worshipped Malak. On this bleak December morning it occurs to Alexis that Aunt Louisa, being of his mother's kin, must have some green spot in her nature, some place in her heart accessible to softer feeling, where it but the size of a pin's point, and that he, her nephew, destitute and forlorn, ought to be able to find that place— he has dined at her house when he was a dashing young officer well dressed well surrounded has been entertained bounteously by her made much of presented to her friends with some touch of pride being verily a young man for women to be proud of in his prosperous days at that happier time aunt louisa appeared to him worldly but good-natured hospitable benevolent even he is at the bottom of Grosvenor Place by this time, and has made up his mind to try Aunt Louisa. Mr. and Miss Gorsuch live in a street out of Grosvenor Place, too expensive a street for Mr. Gorsuch means, which are larger in appearance than reality, but a fine house, in a fine neighborhood, is a standing evidence of wealth, and as such is worth all it costs there are so many things in which prudent careful people can save money notably in their meals and the food they give their servants since these matters appertain to their inner economy of a household and are secrets to the outer world miss gorsuch pinches in all domestic details even down to scouring paper mr gorsuch gives three state dinners in the season supplied by Gunter. banquets of imposing appearance but washed down with wines that range from half a crown to four and sixpence per bottle alexis fully aware of his broken-down appearance is too wise to put forward his relationship as a claim to be admitted despite the footman's suspicious look he simply asks to see mrs gorsuch but he gives his real name mr secretan he is left in the hall while the footman communicates with his mistress whose voice is heard in the library at the back of the hall she can hardly deny herself when i can hear her talking thinks alexis she does not deny herself the man ushers him into the library a square apartment with a gloomy outlook and two pompous bookcases containing law-books and a few of those classic authors whose works are more largely bought than read. A fire burns frostily and cheerily in the bright steel grate. Mrs. Gorsuch sits at the table with a row of tradesmen's books and a ponderous plated inkstand before her. She has been trying to reconcile b- discrepancies between the butcher's account of meat delivered and her own idea of the meat that ought to have been consumed three pounds of rump steak sit heavily upon her soul she cannot see how those three pounds of butcher's meat can have been honestly eaten and she is haunted by the image of an all-devouring policeman or those bloodsuckers the cook's relatives she is a little dried-up looking woman with stiff bands of light auburn hair pepper-castard with gray a brown merino gown a pinched-looking lace cap and a double-eyed glass attached to a chain which glitters in the rosy light of the fire as she turns to look at her visitor glass in hand alex she exclaims good heavens what a change she saw him last as a guest at one of her state dinners elegant prosperous-looking with the easy self-assured air of a man certain of success in life she sees him now reduced to the lowest ebb in the tide of man's existence he comes to her as a beggar mendiancy in writing on his face yes there's a marked decadence from the young man about town is there not he replies you see the brand which destitution stamps upon her children i have fallen very low in the world since i used to come to your swell parties you were very kind to me in those days aunt miss gorsuch winces knowing so well what is coming so kind that i have made up my mind to sue for a small kindness to-day it goes against the grain but before we talk about kindness alexis perhaps you will be good enough to explain how you have sunk to this absolutely disreputable condition asks miss gorsuch looking at her nephew's boots the easiest thing in the world answers alexis with agreeable recklessness i have spent all my money and have not yet acquired the knack of earning more he sees dimly that there is little to be hoped from this flesh and blood of his and that placid despair which is his normal condition enables him to take things easily earning echoes aunt louisa with a bitter sneer it isn't in any of your race to earn the bread they eat my father made his fortune by honest industry your father thought he honored our family when he exchanged his landless gentility for my sister's thirty thousand pounds poor maud it was a lackless day that brought him across her path reserve your pity aunt louisa my mother's married life was a happy one i can bear witness to that happy exclaims miss gorsuch contemptuously was she in society this question she evidently considers unanswerable alexis respects her opinion and makes no reply can you compare her position with mine certainly not you have a handsome house in a fashionable street a bishop for your right-hand neighbor an earl on your left you have the orthodox establishment of a lady and all the cares that accompany it my mother lived a roving life in some of the loveliest places of this earth and she had no servant but the maid who waited on her when she was well and nursed her when she was ill and loved her dearly always my mother's society consisted of few friends who were faithful to her through all changes of fortune those do not count of course no she was not in society but perhaps when you and she compare notes as to your earthly experiences in a wiser world you may find that the balance has been more evenly adjusted than you can suppose now miss gorsuch has hardly heard him her mind is troubled by a grave doubt i hope you did not tell the butler that you are my nephew she says anxiously i had too much discretion for that and now aunt not wishing to intrude myself or my boots he has perceived her uneasy glances at those patched offenders against the decencies of life upon you longer than is absolutely necessary i will come to the point will you lend me or give me ten pounds if fate is against me you may call it a gift but if fortune favour me it shall be repaid tenfold i needn't tell you how badly i want money my appearance testifies to my necessities but it is not for myself that i am a beggar it is for my wife soon to become a mother what almost shrieks miss gorsuch married without income or profession you have linked yourself to some unhappy creature yes we have taken the liberty to unite our destitution if the worst comes to the worst the same pan of charcoal that serves for one will accommodate the other your impiety shocks but does not surprise me says miss gorsuch such sinful imprudence could hardly be found in a man of religious principles no prudence and piety generally go in double harness "'Well, aunt, I have my answer. "'You won't lend or give me the money? "'In the first place I have not such a sum to lend. "'Mr. Gorsuch's position demands the expenditures of our income. "'We are never in debt with a shudder, "'but we have never anything to spare. "'I have had to strain every nerve "'in order to pay our annual contribution to the society "'for the propagation of the gospel in foreign parts. "'And you have nothing left for a starving nephew at home.' Even if I were in a position to advance you this money, which I repeat I am not, I cannot see that your condition would be materially improved by the loan. Where would you be when the money is spent? Exactly where I am now. The money is not for myself, but for my wife. I should not touch a sixpence of it. Who was this unfortunate young woman when you married her? Will you lend me ten pounds? asks Alexis, ignoring the question sadly to be pitied poor creature whoever she is some young person of inferior position i dare say will you lend me ten pounds i have already told you that i have no such sum at my disposal Alexis, replies mrs gorsuch and then hesitantly reluctantly extracting a coin from a plethoric looking russia leather purse she adds if half a sovereign will be of some small assistance it won't answered her nephew abruptly i dare say i could make as much in a day by sweeping and crossing and i shouldn't feel myself so degraded as if i took the money from you good-bye aunt he has opened the door before he concludes and aunt louisa endures agonies for the rest of the day fearful that the butler or man of all work heard that last address remorse for her treatment of her nephew troubles her not at all he cannot say that I sent him away empty-handed, she reflects. I offered him half a sovereign. End of chapter 2 Recording by Angela Dean